Bring it in, read option pod back uh, after a bit of a hiatus solo pod today. Just me. Uh, the boys are, uh, are have been a little busy, been lots of stuff going on. Um, and honestly, I have too. Uh, as you, as people who are fans of the pod, you guys know, like it's very rare if you don't hear from us for um, you know a few weeks. And uh, it it's it's been a few weeks. It's been a while since. Um, you know, since we've all been on here, uh, you know, we did the draft episode. The draft is like my favorite thing to do. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, and I want to make sure we did that. And then it just kind of felt like over the last couple of weeks, two and a half weeks, almost three weeks. Um, it's just been tough. It's been tough to find time. Um, I know personally, I've felt really burnt out. I've been doing a million things. Um, and we just really haven't had a good enough time to be able to kind of sit down and do this. So obviously my apologies to all the listeners who, you know, who, who follow us and, and want to spend time with us and make us a part of your day. And we always really appreciate for the people that do. Um, but I think anyone who listens here can recognize, you know, there's times where it's just a lot. And I know I've had a, a bunch of people reach out and um, Scotty and Vito as well. And people like, Hey, you guys good. Like what's going on. We haven't heard from you in a while. Um, the truth is it's just, look, we, you know, we, we've had changes uh, in, in our lives, um, you know, some personal things, some work things, um, but we've all been been really busy. So um, I think we've needed a little bit of time just to kind of reset. Uh, and, and look, moving forward, I, you know, for football season, you know, we're going to be there twice a week. We're going to do our recaps. We're going to do our previews. We're going to do all the stuff that we always do during football season, basketball season. We're going to try to commit to the same thing, right, as we're now approaching the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals. Um, and that is going to be the main crux of what we talk about today. But look, just objectively, like, yeah, we've 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 been trying to figure out kind of the best way to do this while also giving, um, you know, our, our full time to, to the rest of our, our lives, our jobs, our personal lives and all that stuff, too. So I I, I feel bad. Um, I hate letting anybody down. I hate feeling like I let our listeners down. But um, you know, on the days where Scotty and Vito normally won't do it, then I'd go solo, right? Just because I want to make sure we get something out. And, um, you know, I just kind of felt like I needed I needed to just take some time to kind of do um, – just get my brain right a little bit. Um, and uh, in doing so, you know, especially without warning or anything, I've, I do feel like I've kind of let uh, our, our loyal listeners and the people who've been with us and stay down. So, um We, you know how much we love all you guys. We know how much, uh, you know, we mean to, to, to you guys in your days and, and more importantly, how much you guys mean to us. So we're not going anywhere. We're still here. We're still pumping out new stuff. Um, you know, there just might be some stretches and, and we'll make sure we try to plan out as much as we can to get you guys, you know, up to date and, um, you know, caught up with everything. When If, if, if we're only going to do one pot a week, you know, we want to make sure that you guys know that. So you're not expecting something and then not getting it. Cause I think that's, that's worse than anything is having the expectation. Like, Hey, like I'm, I'm excited for this podcast to come out and it doesn't come out. And um, then you guys hate us. Uh, of course we know that's not necessarily how this works, but it is uh, how it kind of feels on the creator side of it is you do kind of feel like sometimes like, Hey, if we don't put this out, then everyone's going to hate us or everyone's going to stop listening to us or no one's going to want to care what we have to say or 
or do anymore. And, um, you know, the cool thing is I think we all know that that's not necessarily true, especially with our awesome fans and the people who support us here. But at the same time, like, yeah, sometimes we, we need breathers on our end. So, you know, that's kind of where we've been. Um, I know Vito has been all over the place, continuing to travel, but his work schedule has been crazy. I know Scotty's done a ton of stuff in his personal work life and myself work's been really crazy. In addition to, um, you know, my personal life feels like it's been insanely busy. So we're, we're trying to figure it all out. We're trying to get a, you know, more routine schedule. The one thing I can guarantee you is, you know, as we get closer and closer back to football season, you know, we're going to be back and better than ever, uh, constantly growing, try, always constantly trying to do more, uh, and, and, and get better at this stuff. Cause that's honestly a huge reason why we do it. Cause we, we like to grow and, and figure out better ways to, to do this pod and grow and, um, but for right now, you know, it's it's been tough. We haven't really been able to get to, to deep down, sit down and, and focus on on everything. So um, we appreciate you guys. Obviously, we love you guys and, and we appreciate you all for, for sticking with us. Um, since we've been away, there's been a lot that's happened. Um, <laughs> I think the last time we talked, uh, the second round of the NBA playoffs haven't even started yet. So uh, I'm going to run through and kind of give my thoughts on uh on kind of that uh and, and more importantly kind of just talk about the western conference east conference finals as we we're down to our final four teams um we'll start out in the west uh you know you had denver phoenix um i mean look no chris paul KD, and, and devin booker that team those guys had to basically just carry that entire phoenix suns organization it felt like right if, if KD and devin booker weren't putting up 35 each per game it didn't really seem realistic uh, and on the other side, you have a, a, a different version of Jokic that we really haven't seen, a version that uh, looks like he's not phased at all, not just from like a mental standpoint, but physically. I mean, he's playing some of the best basketball I think he's ever played. I mean, the 50-point triple-double uh, speaks for itself. I mean, what an unbelievable performance that we've seen out of him. And um, I mean, well, look, when you're facing a, a Denver team, when you're getting support from Michael Porter Jr., when you have a healthy Jamal Murray back, who it feels like we haven't really seen that version of him since uh, the ACL, which remember the ACL injury there with, uh, with with Jamal Murray. I mean, that that hit in. God, I mean, that was the bubble right when he tore that. So we, it's been, you know, two and a half years since we've seen this version of Jamal Murray and the fact that he's kind of back playing this brand of basketball that we were accustomed to. I always think back to that flamethrower matchup between him and uh, Donovan Mitchell when Donovan Mitchell still in the jazz and they each put up like 50 in the bubble. It was an unreal game. And look, we haven't quite seen that version of Jamal Murray, but I have a feeling at some point in this playoffs, we're going to see him explode and, and showcase that side of him and, and they're going to need it. They're going to need it in the Western conference finals because going up against the Lakers is, is not going to be an easy test for them. But I think undeniably, I mean, there's been one team that has just quietly just been the clear-cut best team in the entire NBA playoffs, and that has been the Denver Nuggets. I mean, and and it all runs through Jokic. Everything he does in the pick and roll, everything he does just as a distributor of the basketball, he sees these double teams. They do these DHOs, right? There's no good way to defend them. And, and look, if you're the Lakers, you have probably the best asset and you have the best player to go up against Jokic one-on-one and Anthony Davis because of how quick he is on his feet, because of his agility side to side, because of his length and obviously his ability to protect the rim. But you need more than that because you might limit Jokic from scoring. He might be held to 15 or 17 points, but if he ends up with 
15 boards and a 13 assists and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Are, are, are wet from three, then it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, they can still beat you in so many different ways. Um, defensively, I'm really curious to see how this Denver team matches up. But look, I mean, they were able to basically say, hey, like if you're going to beat us, you know, Phoenix, it's going to be by Devin Booker and Kevin Durant going off. And, you know, if Kevin Durant never gets hurt in that layup line, rolling the anchor ankle, like we're probably talking about a slightly different series, right? Because we're talking about more time for Phoenix and Kevin Durant to kind of get acclimated with one another. Because uh, it did kind of feel like throughout the playoffs, KD just never really found his role on that team. And he's going to get chances next year, him and, and Booker getting a chance to score up against each other. I mean, that's two elite shot makers. Um, but this Lakers matchup is a little bit different because I don't know if they have a really, really good matchup for LeBron. I mean, at his age, I mean, what LeBron's doing right now is stupid. And we'll talk about the Lakers and Golden State here in just a little bit. But at, at their age, at his age, you know, if you're Aaron Gordon, you don't have to worry as much about LeBron beating you off the dribble. Aaron Gordon will be able to extend and, and defend around the perimeter. Um, but that is going to open stuff underneath. So this is going to have to be a big Jokic defensive series, which people who are Jokic haters will, will, will point to the advanced numbers against Jokic, right? And say like, hey, you know, well, hey, Jokic is a significantly worse defender than Embiid, right? Or Anthony Davis or some of the other big men. And some of the advanced numbers also say, like, actually, he's pretty good defensively. He's actually a pretty solid defensive player. Uh, is he good enough to shut down a guy like Anthony Davis? No, but with his size and everything, he should be able to at least challenge him and know that they're going to be in the floor against each other. So that's going to be a really fun matchup because two very, very different styles of players, styles of big man, and, and Jokic being someone that we've never really seen before. I mean, you can go back to the 70s and the 80s with Bill Walton, right? This this seven foot two guy who can pass the ball better than anybody you've seen, right? I mean, but Jokic just is a whole nother breed in, his, in addition to his ability to make shots. And I thought Kevin Durant's comments, I think it was after game five or game six, um, about Jokic and how unorthodox he is and his ability to just put these shots up that seem like they have no chance of going in. And yet somehow they find a way to go win. Um, you know, and obviously Anthony Davis is an unbelievable defender, but I don't know if there's a right way to guard Jokic. I mean, even if you take away all of his scoring, he's still going to set everybody else up for success. Um, but if there is somebody who can really go toe to toe defensively trying to guard Jokic, it probably is Anthony Davis. And uh, it's going to be really fun to see how that uh, how that turns out. Uh, the Lakers Golden State series. I mean, look, Golden State's just not the same championship team that we saw a year ago. I mean, Andrew Wiggins missing basically half the season, uh, including right before the playoffs, coming back for the playoffs. There was there was no cohesion there. I mean, no Clay Thompson. I mean, obviously Clay Thompson was there, but you're not getting Clay Thompson. I mean, Clay's one of my all-time favorite players. He was terrible. He was terrible the whole playoffs. He had one game where he went flamethrower mode. Um, and, and look, in years past with the Warriors team, like Clay Thompson flamethrower games happened one out of every like four games. You know, like you, you, you were guaranteed in a seven game series to get at least one Clay Thompson flamethrower game. And that version of Clay Thompson just doesn't seem to be there. He's not the defender he used to be. Uh, and look, when you tear an ACL and an Achilles and, and, and you miss two years, like, yeah, that's going to happen. Um, I love Clay. I think Clay probably had his last hurrah last year which sucks to say as somebody who's one of my favorite players to watch over the last few years. I mean, his jump shot still um, is out of this world. Um, and he can still be a role player for you, right? Like he's still someone who can, but like if he, if you're expecting him to be the version of clay that he was, you know, 
even last year, which he wasn't great last year, but there were more pieces around him. And Jordan Poole, I think, has, was the biggest thing that hurt this Warriors team. And, you know, you can go back to the start of the season and, and the punch video where Draymond literally knocked out his own teammate in a practice. Um, I don't know how much stock to put into it. I think that's a very trendy, you know, pick for people to have. I think that's something that a lot of people want, want to point to and be like, hey, you know, hey, like, how could you win a championship the same year? Like somebody punched it. I don't look Draymond's a loose cannon. He's insane. I, I, none of us know. None of us are in that locker room. None of us are, are one of those 14 guys that has to live with everything that happened day after day and everything that's happened since, um, you know, the start of this season, since that incident happened. But conventional wisdom does tell you that it probably didn't help. It sure as hell didn't help. Right. It's a new thing you have to try to overcome. And, you know, Draymond definitely has some juice left. Like he's been, he was huge for them defensively, but this Warriors team is just, they're not what they are. Right. And, and they tried to do the, they're not what they were, I should say. And, you know, I I think about like those San Antonio Spurs teams with Manu and, you know, then they, at the tail end, they get Kawhi and Kawhi ends up turning into this really great player. And I don't think, we realize how freaking hard that is to do, right? I don't think people realize how difficult it is to be a dynasty team, a team that won a championship in three different decades with the same core guys, right? Or at least the same coach and and best player like San Antonio did with Tim Duncan. uh, And then obviously Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, that whole core and, and all the guys that kind of floated in and out of there. But a lot of what kept them there was, not necessarily drafting the next stars, but drafting the next role players. And when you would see these little gaps between late nineties, when they won in the, uh, in the lockout year, and then the early two thousands, right. The 2005 team with uh, San Antonio, when you're looking at those teams, and then obviously the tail end San Antonio teams that beat the heat in the finals. When you look at those San Antonio teams, like the core guys were there throughout the whole thing. And I think the timelines don't necessarily line up. Uh, from what Golden State was, right? Because for Tim Duncan, like he had David Robinson when they won their first one in the late 90s. And then by the time they were winning their next round of championships, they had Tony Parker, they had young Manu, they had all these role players, Robert Horry, they had those guys. Uh, And then by the time they were in it again in the late 2000s and then early 2010s, it was the not the the corpse, obviously, of Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan was still a really, really good player. but you had time to develop guys like Kawhi in between, you know, Steph Curry went through a lot in the beginning of his career when they finally clicked. It wasn't like Tim Duncan, who was 21, 22 when they won in the late nineties. Right. And, and you won with a young Tony Parker and a young Manu. They didn't win young like those San Antonio teams did. They won kind of in the middle of that. So they kind of had like the last two thirds of the three decade run, um, the Warriors did like the Warriors had like their their main run, like just like the, the the Spurs did, which was the mid to late 2000s. Right. And then they had their last run in the 2010s. And look at and just because Tim Duncan and those early teams had success back in the late 90s, early 2000s, like we, we can't compare the two um, as much as 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 much as we probably all want to. And as much as like I, I love this Warriors team, I don't want to see Steph going anywhere. But Steph's 34. I mean, Steph's unreal. We're only going to get so much left from Steph. Um, and 
Steph right now is playing arguably his best basketball, which is crazy to think. He is a complete master of the game, and his game is going to continue to age well. But I don't think this Warriors team is going to be competitive with the current pieces that they have on their roster. Now, that being said, none of this is to take away from what the Los Angeles Lakers did because the Lakers deserve a shitload of credit. The Lakers deserve all of the credit in the world because they made out and made their moves at the deadline. They got rid of Russell Westbrook. They found something in Austin Reeves. They found guys that LeBron trusts, which anytime you have a LeBron team, it's the the most important thing is like, hey, do you have people that LeBron trusts with the ball in their hands? And during this series, they did, right? Like we've seen in the playoffs that the guys that they had are the guys that LeBron trusts. Even going out and getting a Rui Hachimara, right? Rui, fine player, kind of that like skillful four, too small to be a five, could be a small ball five, but he can run to the basket. He can shoot a little bit. He can play a bunch of different things. He knows his role. He's playing a perfect role with this Los Angeles Lakers team. Obviously, everyone talked to death about the Lonnie Walker game where Lonnie Walker goes off for 14 points in the fourth quarter. Like They have these small pieces around them, and LeBron is better than anybody, at least in my lifetime, of taking these role players and finding ways to get the most out of them. It's not like the Golden State thing where it's like, hey, we have this system here. And when you find the right piece, like Gary Payton Jr. last year, when Andrew Wiggins last year kind of steps up into it, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, it clicks. And then everyone knows their role. And it's kind of like this positionless basketball. Everyone's moving constant motion, constant ball movement until the ball finds an open shooter and it goes in. It's harder to find puzzle pieces to fit into the rest of that puzzle. LeBron, if he finds someone that he trusts, he will get them the ball in the right situations and get them in a position to win basketball games. And I think that's arguably the most impressive thing about LeBron's entire career, because whether it was the 2007 Cavs that he brought and dragged to the NBA finals or, you know, the the 2023 Lakers team right now, 2023, 2023 Lakers, like LeBron has been doing this for 15 years and he gets, it seems like he's better at it now than he's ever been. And he still knows when to pick his spots, like his ability to conserve energy and knowing little breaks. Like I heard stories about like, he knows like, Hey, I'm going to pull myself out now because the next time out that, uh, you know, golden state takes is going to be a TV timeout. And that's going to give me an extra minute and a half of rest. Like he is that deep when it comes to understanding, Hey, this is when I need to take my break. This is when I need my rest because if I take my rest here, if I take my break here, then I'm going to be that much more impactful in the fourth quarter of a tight game. And credit to the Lakers because the Lakers never really felt like after game four when they went up 3-1, it didn't feel like even if Golden State won game five, which they inevitably did, it never felt like Golden State had enough horses to stay with what the Los Angeles Lakers did, which is objectively Really, really impressive. Like, I, I'm I'm still stunned by what I've seen from this Lakers team after what we saw from them for two-thirds of the regular season. It also reinforces my point that Russell Westbrook is not a winning player, right? Because who knows what this Lakers team could have been had they had these pieces in at the start of the season, had they never made the trade for Russell Westbrook. And miss me with the whole, like, well, having Russ opened up these spots, it was so hard to move that contract. It was so hard to find somebody who would take on the dead money and just keep Russell Westbrook just to inevitably pass him on. And look, Russ, to his credit too, in the Clippers series, played good basketball. He like turned it on and went like vintage Russ, but that's also because who else on that fucking Clippers team was going to be doing anything. 
right? Without a, without a fully healthy Kawhi, without Paul George, like, yeah, that Clippers team wasn't going to win games. They weren't going to advance in the NBA playoffs. It just wasn't going to happen. So Russ had the freedom to do Russ shit, which is try to take over games and be ultra aggressive and, and, and just do whatever he wanted on a basketball court. Cause that's always the best time. That's always when Russ looks, looks his best is when, he doesn't have to give a shit about anybody else in the court when it's like, Hey, our best chance to win is for me to just go ape shit. And that gives him the green light to just go ape shit. So not shocked that the Clippers and Russ got bounced in the first round because that's not sustainable and definitely not this version of Russ. And even if it's a younger version of Russ, you're still not getting to the NBA finals, let alone the Eastern conference finals with that version of Russell Westbrook. So the Lakers getting off of that Russell Westbrook contract, as difficult as it was, they shouldn't have signed him in the first place. It would have allowed them more cap flexibility to go out and sign people like this earlier. But you still can't make you can't argue with the success that the Lakers have had. Right. Because they're in this position now. They're in the Western Conference Finals. There's nothing that whether you had Russ, you didn't have Russ, whatever. That doesn't matter because they're here now with a team that is gelling and playing incredibly good basketball. And. The one thing I actually really love about this Lakers team is that they're having freaking fun out there, man. Like Austin Reeves is having fun. Lonnie Walker is having fun. Anthony Davis is having fun and staying healthy. Like LeBron even in game six to close it out with 39 points and nine assists. Like just an unreal performance from a guy who's been in the NBA for 20 years. And I had, for the first time in my in my life, I actually had the thought, like, man, if LeBron and the Lakers win the championship this year, I actually think he takes – there's an argument, a stronger argument than there's ever been, that he deserves to take the mantle for Michael Jordan. Like, the thought has actually come into my mind because what he's doing right now, it's this isn't Kareem in year 20, all right? This isn't Carl Malone in his last run with the Lakers in 2004 when they got – beaten by the Pistons, right? This is special stuff because this he's obviously not still prime LeBron. He obviously has to treat his game differently, but picking his spots and when to attack and knowing how to conserve his energy allows him to reach that level in the moments that the Lakers need him the most. And then for the rest of the stuff, you can let Anthony Davis carry you in certain points as long as he's staying healthy. You can let Rui Hachimara step in and make plays and Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves. I mean, how even Dennis Schroeder, who was like out of the league a year ago, it felt like after, you know, he had a chance to stay with, with Boston and sign a contract and he won all this money and they said, go fuck yourself. And then he lost out on a ton of guaranteed money. He's now in a position to potentially win an NBA title with uh, LeBron um, in year 20 in year 20, which I mean, again, Jordan, the perfection of Jordan, the the overall just the Jordan mantra, the Jordan moxie and the energy and everything that he fucking does which and did, which is why The Last Dance was so amazing. And it's why it feels like it's such a better story because the plot lines behind it feel that much more incredible. What LeBron's doing in compiling all of this is just ridiculous. And now to be in a position where he's in what, like his like, a 10th NBA or his 10 10th conference finals, a chance to go to another, uh, which I believe would be his uh, eighth or ninth uh, NBA finals uh, with a chance to get his fifth ring. Um, in addition to obviously the all-time scoring record, which he broke this year and minutes record, which is going to be his, and he's still not done. It's, it's crazy. It's a, it's, it's insane. It's so fun to watch. Um, 
And even for people like myself who aren't the biggest LeBron fans in the world, um, man, it is, it is something to see because it's just, it's not something we've seen before ever. Uh, and, and we really do need to take a moment to appreciate it when we get it, because just like we said with Tom Brady for all those years, it's just like when you have, when you're in the presence of one of the all time greats and not just like, Oh, like, Oh, he's like a top 10 guy, potentially all time. Like someone like Steph is around like, yeah, you do want to watch those guys. Cause again, you don't know how long they're going to be around, but we're talking about like a guy who's in the greatest of all time in sports. They don't come around. It's like watching Michael Phelps's last Olympics or Usain Bolt's last Olympics, right? Whenever Messi's in his last year, like you really want uh, Federer in tennis and Nadal. And obviously we get a chance to see like the twilight parts of Tiger, but like that 2019 Masters is always going to be one of my favorite, if not my favorite non-Philly sporting events of all time, because it was the best to do it, finding a way to do it at this point in their career, which just, it only happens for the the true greats like Jack Nicholas winning the Masters at at forty two or forty three however old he was, um, and obviously Tiger doing a couple of years ago is the same thing, and um, LeBron doing this at thirty eight years old in year twenty is is wild because there have been guys who have played this long. There's been no one who has such control and command and dominance at times at this point in his career. And to go through a two-month gauntlet to potentially win an NBA title, I mean, the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers are, are probably. You could make a case for the best to third best team left. I mean, there's a real case to say that they're the best team left in the playoffs. I, I think based off the numbers alone, you would look at Denver and say there's no one that's been better than Denver. The Celtics, who we'll get to in a little bit. Um, they've obviously shown major weaknesses uh, and, and are coming off of a seven-game series, and then. Yeah, like uh, Miami, you know, they find the upset to get over Milwaukee, which is insane in and of itself. But now we're talking about a Miami team who had to beat a Giannis-less Knicks. Giannis was on the court for less than half the series. That's a huge advantage for Miami. And then they go through and they do what they're supposed to do to a very dysfunctional Knicks team that is completely inexperienced in the NBA playoffs. Um with a coach who historically doesn't do well past the first round um, and, and also has a, a reputation for wearing out his players. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable that we're sitting here and it's like, yeah, the Lakers could be like the second best team left in the NBA playoffs. Like if I was going to place my money on a team to win the NBA finals right now, I think I'd probably take the Lakers, which sounds insane, but, that's kind of just like that mental spot where you're just like, I don't know if anyone's better at understanding the situation that's left in the playoffs than LeBron. I, I just, I don't think that there's anybody out there. Are they the most talented team left? No, probably not. I, I think that's the Celtics. I don't think it's particularly close, but if you're going to tell me who do you trust? I think I'd take the Lakers. I think I'd take the Lakers. Uh, we'll go over to Eastern Conference. Um, we're going to save the Sixers Celtics series for last because obviously I have lots of thoughts on that. Um, Knicks Heat. I mean, look, I, I feel like I kind of touched on it. I mean, this this Knicks team is just is just a joke, uh, and not a joke. I shouldn't say that because Jalen Brunson's awesome. Josh Hart. I mean, obviously I'm biased. My Villanova guys, I love them. Um, Emmanuel quickly goes out. That hurts you a lot because that's a you know guy you bring in. The Knicks and the Heat both found a very easy route to get 
to where they are, you know, or to that second round at least, and then to figure out a way how, hey, how do we get to the NBA finals from this point? Um, I, I don't think it made a lot of sense when you look at this Miami Heat team. Uh, nobody thought they were going to get there, right? Like no one in their wildest dreams thought that the Miami Heat would be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And yet the Miami Heat really, really did. Uh, and you have to give a ton of credit to that, right? Because Jimmy Butler, what he did in the first round, obviously Giannis was not 100% in those last couple of games, but Jimmy Butler still, I mean, it's still Giannis, right? So it's like you still are going up against arguably the best player in the NBA, even if he's at 70%, 60%, whatever, it's still Giannis. Like you're, you still have to respect that. The fadeaway buzzer beater to get to the second round in and of itself was unbelievable. Um and the same thing with the with the Knicks, like the Cavs just didn't show up like the Knicks getting there felt like, hey, it felt like a continuation of the regular season where it's like, where is this Cavs team that was so good defensively all year? Um, but then at the same time, we're so young that they could lose on any given night. And it felt like that version that we saw in the regular season, we saw throughout the playoffs with that Cavs team. So they find their way in this round. And Miami's just the way better team, like. When it came, when it comes to being an actual team, like not from a talent standpoint, I don't think anybody would say that the 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 Heat are that much more talented than the New York Knicks. But Tibbs, I mean Tom Thibodeau, like this is what he does. Like Tibbs is this guy; he runs his team into the fucking ground every single year. Uh, Julius Randle, I mean, is just a losing player. He he tries hard to get free, you know to get loose balls when he has a chance to get two points on it, right? He'll take his mid-range shots. He'll, he'll jack up terrible fucking threes all the time. There's not a cohesion to that next team whatsoever. It's like, hey, Jalen Brunson's going to come and save us. Jalen Brunson's going to be the guy who gets us to that next point. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do that for an entire series. It'd be unrealistic to expect him to do that against a coach as good as Eric Spolstra, which for all of the, the the Jimmy Butler stuff and the Hemi and all that crap that people are saying, Jimmy Butler's amazing. He's unreal. But look what happened when he rolled his ankle, right? He wasn't 100% after, what, the, the, the beginning of the fourth quarter in game two, and the Heat still looked like the better team the entire series. And part of that is because the whole heat culture stuff, right? And everyone who's a Miami Heat fan is going to say, oh, heat culture, heat culture, fine, whatever, heat culture, chalk it up. That's great. Congratulations. Eric Spolstra is an absolute wizard of a basketball coach. I don't think it's close. I think he's the best coach in the NBA. I think he's been the best coach in the NBA for a while. Look at the run that these Heat teams have gone on the last few years, right? I mean, this is their third NBA finals in the last four seasons or Eastern Conference Finals in the last four seasons. They have a chance to go to their second NBA Finals in the last four years. And all of it, they had Jimmy Butler as their best player. They had a Bam Adebayo who, like, Bam had his moments where Bam looked amazing, right? You know, like, Bam had this really great, you know, ascension where we're like, oh, man, Bam Adebayo is going to be one of the next great bigs. And then he's really kind of tapered off the last couple years. Still a really good player, right? Still really, really, really solid, good, good, high-quality, borderline all-star NBA player. He's not an all-NBA guy anymore. Maybe he'll probably finish with, like, three all-NBAs in his career, which, again, is a really, really good career. No one's going to sit there and be like, oh, Bam Adebayo, not a good player. He's a fantastic player. But let's not kid ourselves that we're talking about Bam Adebayo as like this massive difference maker that he's somehow like the one of the top 
10, 15, 20 players in the NBA. Like we thought he might be at the start of this kind of run here with the Miami Heat. He's not that. He's a really, really good player, and they know how to use him in ways that make him even more valuable. But this all comes down to fucking Spo. Spo taking these undrafted guys, finding ways to adjust mid-game, you know, mid-series, switching from zone just to, to man, you know, putting Jimmy Butler in ways. And it's this perfect culmination of no one believes in us. We have the biggest fuck you basketball player in the NBA right now, Jimmy Butler, who just could not give two fucks of what anybody says or what anybody thinks of him. He's just going to go out and fucking do his shit, and he's going to bring it in the postseason. Kyle Lowry coming back from the dead. Uh, you know, Duncan Robinson, who had been exiled after his massive contract and has seemingly been a bust. And they've done all of this without Tyler Hero, who was basically their second-best player all season. It's insane what this Heat team has done. And we can we can talk about Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler deserves his flowers. He deserves the credit. He deserves so much of what they've accomplished there because he is that good. But Eric Spolster deserves just as much, if not more, because this whole wave of, of Heat stuff, obviously it starts with getting a guy like Jimmy Butler. You can't win in the NBA. You can't make these runs without a certain baseline of talent. But this is as bare bones of an NBA Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals team that I've ever seen. You don't see teams with this little talent making runs like they've done. And that goes for last year, too. You know, going out and getting Kevin Love at the trade deadline. Still cannot believe that the Cleveland Cavaliers just let Kevin Love go. I mean, oh, my God. I, I, look, I know he probably needed a change of scenery, and it's not the same Kevin Love that we saw in those Cavs teams that won titles, and you're trying to stay good by your guy. I understand the logic behind that. But Kevin Love has been a really valuable piece for them. He was valuable for them. I mean, Kevin Love was taking Julius Randle off the freaking dribble in game four. I mean, it, it's, it's insane to me that you could let a guy with that experience and the locker room presence and all the other shit that you need when you run through a playoffs – you could just let him go to somebody in your conference, you know, and in a lot of ways, Cleveland's lucky that they lost in the first round, because if you had lost to Kevin Love and the Heat and Kevin Love was an important player, like he's been in this series, like he was against the Knicks. I mean, that's like borderline fireable, right? Because that's just negligence. That's just being dumb in a front office and in the sake of, Hey, well, if we're nice to him, then clutch who represents Kevin love, well, they're going to hook us up with their draft picks and, and we're going to be able to build good relationships. And it's like, bullshit, man, bullshit. I know you want to preserve relationships in that world, but more often than not, when teams make decisions to preserve relationships with agencies and with agents, it never actually works. It almost exclusively backfires. Credit to this Miami heat team, man. I, I mean, again, People can say, oh, they got lucky Giannis didn't play. Luck is part of it, right? Did they get lucky with the fact that Giannis wasn't playing? They sure did. But how many teams have gotten lucky and didn't make the most of their opportunity? I can tell you one, it's the Philadelphia 76ers. And we'll get to them in a second. But you have to give credit still. You have to give credit to a team that gets handed a lucky break and then somehow makes the most of that situation because it just doesn't happen all the time. The amount of people who get lucky breaks and don't capitalize or have something that swings the right, the Miami Heat, anytime they get a little bit of a window, they capitalize. And that's part of the reason why they're here right now. They got lucky not with having to play Giannis, and they got lucky with the fact they had to play the Knicks in round two. But you know what? They're sitting there in the Eastern Conference Finals against the team in Boston who does 
nothing at the end of close games and are terrible at the end of these close games. And I know one thing about the Heat is that they're going to keep these games close and they're going to give themselves a chance to win. And if you don't think that Jimmy Butler and Spolstra and everyone on this team doesn't remember last year when they believed that the Miami Heat, as the one seed, should have found their way to the NBA Finals last season, they sure as hell do. I promise you they do. And they're going to come out with some vengeance. All right. I've prolonged enough. The Philadelphia 76ers lose to the Boston Celtics. Um, I'm going to start with the Celtics, and then I'll go on my Sixers rant. Celtics are the far more talented team. There is no ifs, ands, ors, buts about it. Not even close. All right. The Celtics, top to bottom roster, their bench, um, their rotation, everything about the Celtics. They're a better team. And yet, the Sixers should have won this series in six. The Sixers should have won this series in six. Jason Tatum found a way to turn it on at the end. And what we've seen now is two completely different styles of how to build a team, right? For all of the Jalen Brown drama, right? They still have two wings who can drop 40 on you on any given night in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That works in the NBA. What doesn't work are ball dominant point guards and bigs as your best players, unless they are truly special. And by special, I don't even necessarily mean like, oh, you're uber talented. Because obviously, Embiid, he's the freaking MVP. He's one of the most talented players at his size that the NBA has ever seen. <laughs> special meaning unique, meaning their skill set is different, right? The, the Golden State Warriors won and won all those rings and have gone through it because Steph, as a guard, as a quote-unquote point guard, is unique. He, he forces teams to do things different. He's not a traditional point guard. We know that, right? He also is just as dominant and affects the other team defensively without the ball, as much without the ball, as he does with the ball in his hand. Because at any given moment, every single person on the floor needs to pay attention to where Steph Curry is. Every single player. Because at any given moment, he's roaming around, constantly moving, finding spots to get open. In the back of your mind, you might be a half step behind Klay Thompson as he's pulling up for a three, or Jordan Poole, or Andrew Wiggins, as we saw all last year, right? And that's what makes Steph so special, even though he's an undersized guard. Nikola Jokic from the big man side of it, right? Obviously, Jokic, they've never won a title. They're trying to do that this year. I know it's not a perfect comp. If you want to go back to Hakeem, you know, that's that's kind of the same thing. Special, revolutionized the game with his footwork, his size, his athleticism, his ability to roll, all the stuff that Hakeem did that was so special. Um, you know, he was a unique player based off the way that he played his position. Jokic, same thing. And look, Jokic has been the two Western Conference Finals. And B and the Sixers have never gotten out of the fucking second round. All right? So it makes all the sense in the world. If you are trying to build a team, around a ball-dominant guard and a big who are reliant on free throws, you are not going to win an NBA championship. Fuck Daryl Morey and his nonsense, Harvard, arrogant bullshit. All right, he's wrong. You, you can go to the playoffs every single year. You can be a top four team in the Eastern Conference Finals because over an 82-game sample size, the math checks out. We've known this now. We saw it in Houston. We're seeing it now in Philadelphia. That's not what wins NBA championships. That's not what wins playoff series. What wins playoff series is ball movement, cohesiveness, energy, being able to play multiple different styles, 
being able to sit down in the half court, draw up plays, move the ball around, being able to push the ball in transition. You can't build a team around a guy like Joel Embiid and James Harden and expect to actually be competitive in terms of legitimately winning an NBA championship. And what's so fucking crazy is I know the Sixers fans who are listening to this right now, who are telling me you're going to shit on Embiid right now. He just won the MVP. I am. All right, I am. I get it. If they win game six, then it's the Sixers and the Heat. And then the Heat and Sixers, Sixers should win that series. They could very easily be on their way to an Easter Conference Finals. But, you, they, but they didn't. All right. They didn't. At the core, at, it, at the end of the day, they didn't do it. And they haven't done it. And it's been six years. It's been six years of the same fucking shit over and over and over again. James Harden literally did the exact same thing that Ben Simmons did against the Atlanta Hawks. All right. Zero points in the fourth quarter in the last three games. And look, the fact that the Sixers got James Harden out of Ben Simmons, the Ben Simmons situation, that is objectively a win, right? Harden was a better asset. Harden helped this team. This team played better with Embiid and Harden than they did with Embiid and Simmons. But at the end of the line, like it's the same result and it looks exactly the same. You hired a coach who has more losses when in games to advance to the next round of the playoffs than any other coach in the history of the NBA. He had one run, one run with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and a young Rajon Rondo. Ken, Kendrick Perkins and, and big baby Davis and all that, that fucking team, Tony Allen, all those guys on that Boston team. He had one run on a team that he didn't even have to fucking do a lot, but go back and look at all the players he's coached and how little doc rivers has gotten out of them. And you're going up against a first year head coach. Who's 32 years old, six years younger than fucking LeBron. And you get pantsed in the last two games. When you have a chance to fucking, Finally send this team, not to the NBA finals, not to a championship, but just to the fucking semifinals. It is laughably embarrassing to be a Philadelphia fan in general right now, but to be a Philadelphia fan of this Sixers team. I'm so done. I'm done with this Sixers team. And I know, I knew this was coming. I knew at the end at the Super Bowl when the, when the Eagles lost and I was starting to kind of process it and move on and be like, all right, well, we got the Sixers. Sixers are playing pretty good basketball right now. We have this young buck in Maxie who's, who helps them push the ball in transition, who I love, by the way. I fucking love Tyrese Maxie. Hold on to Maxie forever. I love him. All right? But I knew in that moment, I knew, I said in multiple conversations with people, I can't get excited. I physically can't. I said, once the playoffs come around and I, and I lock into the playoffs and start to believe again, it's going to be the same thing. That game six, and I tweeted this out, that game six was the worst loss during this era of Philadelphia 76ers basketball. And it's, I, to me, it's not close. You can throw the Kawhi shot at me. The Kawhi shot is the most painful loss because of the way that it happened, it's the one that we were right fucking there. And that was the best team that we had around Embiid and around that time in this whole stretch. And that's a team that could have gone on to win the NBA championship that year. I wholeheartedly believe that. But you also had Jimmy Butler and you had JJ Redick and you had 
a better bench and you, you everything was better. Hell, I think Brett Brown, for all the shit that people want to shit on him about, I think Brett Brown is just as fucking good of a coach as Doc Rivers. They've gotten just as far. Their resume over the time in Philadelphia is exactly the same. This is an unreal situation. And that loss, that game six loss will sting me forever. You are up five points with seven minutes to go in a game that Boston looked absolutely flummoxed. You held Jason Tatum to three points through what? Two and a half, almost three full quarters. Three points from one of the best players in the NBA. And you can't find a way, a way to win that game. You're pulling up from these terrible fucking threes. I love Maxi. It's hard to blame a 22-year-old who stepped up and played as well in this series and in this playoffs as he did. And so I, I really have a hard time blaming Maxi about it. And I, and I really don't blame Maxi a ton over this whole situation, this whole series. Maxi was terrible in game six and game seven. Harden was terrible. And Bede, did he make big plays? That game five, dude, that game five looks so fucking good. It looks so good as a fan. It didn't matter. It didn't fucking matter. Because ultimately, when they were that one game away, when they were that one game away, and that's been the fucking Achilles heel for this whole team. As soon as they get to just one win, doesn't even have to be a blowout, doesn't have to be amazing, just one win. They fucking choke it every time. I'm out on the Sixers. I'm, I'm out on Embiid. I love Joel. I fucking love Joel. I've spent the last basically decade of my life doing nothing but love this guy. I've been critical of him just like other people have in the past, but I fucking love him. I know the comments after the game were bad and most of it got taken out of context, but even when you go back and lit and read the whole thing, it's still not great. When you add the full context of his statement and don't kid yourself, he's going to one out of Philly. Do I think he's going to do it this summer? Probably not after just winning an MVP. But there were rumors about this swirling before the season started. And there were rumors swirling about it during the season. We've obviously heard all the fucking Harden rumors and going back to Houston. If you're Philly, and I already know fucking Daryl Morey is going to go out and try to sign, re-sign James Harden. or Because or, if, if I'm James Harden, I can go out and get a three-year, $100 million deal from a team. He absolutely can. So if I'm James Harden, I'd rather do that than whatever my player option is because he doesn't got much left in the fucking tank. And he doesn't really seem like he wants to. He had two unbelievable games in this series and five really mediocre to bad ones. It, it's crazy to me. Embiid minus 28 on the floor in game seven. Maxi minus 31. James Harden minus 30. That P.J. Tucker signing that I actually started to convince myself after game five that was a, was a good signing. I was actually like really on board with it. I was like, you know what? I was really critical of this signing when it first happened. You know, doesn't make sense. Three years for a guy like PG Tucker, who's 37, 38 years old, and you're going to pay him all that guaranteed money. I don't think that makes any fucking sense whatsoever. You know, what's he going to do for you? Turns out I was right. My initial instinct was right. Cool. He made this team 
tougher. How much fucking tougher were they in a game seven with a chance to fucking win? How much fucking tougher were they in a game six at home when you were up five with seven minutes left to go in the fucking game? You had a chance to put this away at home after playing back-to-back beautiful fucking games. This seems not fucking tough. It seems soft. This seems not built to win in the modern NBA. It's not going to happen. Philly fans, the ones listening to us, stop convincing yourself that it's possible. It's not. It's never going to happen. If you can go out and get a true number one score, if they had drafted Jason Tatum instead of Markel Fultz, and Embiid could be the Anthony Davis to LeBron in the, in the bubble championship, that's how Embiid wins a championship. When he's the number two, or he's playing with, I don't know, maybe arguably the best player of all fucking time. I love Embiid. I genuinely, my heart of hearts do. He's the center version of Allen Iverson, of Russell Westbrook. But you can't even say that because both of those guys have gotten to an NBA fucking finals. And here's the thing, too. This isn't the whole like, hey, you know, he's young. You know, most NBA, you know, what, what, how old was MJ when he got in his first finals? Embiid's going to be 30 next year. With the laundry list of injuries that he's had, it's never going to happen. Maybe not never. There's a 0.1% chance maybe this happens. But Daryl Morey is going to keep doing his, his narcissistic, I'm smarter than everybody, I'm being the money ball of fucking NBA. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to keep getting to this point. They're going to finish top three, top four in the East. They're going to end up being a really competitive basketball team for as long as Embiid is on this fucking team. They're going to continue to do that because the regular season and the playoffs are two completely different fucking animals. They're not even close to the same thing. And so they're going to continue to do that. And you know what the end game for general managers in sports is? It's to keep your fucking job for as long as you can, because you get hired in that industry to get fired. Daryl Morey has a perfect recipe to make millions of dollars every single year and re- continually put out the same dog shit product in the postseason that he's done for over a decade. It's been 10 plus years between Houston and Philly of the same bullshit. And his arrogance is over the top frustrating. I can't deal with it. If they bring back Doc Rivers, I'm not paying attention to the fucking Sixers next year. It's so hard to. And of course I say that, and that's not going to be the case. And we're going to get just as invested into it as I did this year. But that's the fucking, you know, the sickness that is being a Philadelphia sports fan. But I've never been so fucking frustrated with a sports team. I took that game six loss way more angrier than I did the Super Bowl loss, than I did the World Series loss. Those losses, I was bummed. You know why? Because Bryce Harper, our core guy, showed up when we needed him most and hit a home run to send us to the World Series. Jalen Hurts balled the fuck out in the Super Bowl. I had one of the greatest Super Bowl performances of all time, and they still fucking lost. But you know what? I can't blame those guys. I can't blame those guys, even though part of me does want to blame Jalen Hurts for fumbling the ball on that drive. I get it, but they still were up 24 to 14 at halftime. You can't blame Jalen Hurts for that, for that loss. I sure as fuck can can blame Embiid, can blame Harden, can blame Doc Rivers, can blame Daryl Morey, can blame the entire Sixers organization. It's really easy, and that's what I'm going to do. So they're going to have – a major offseason ahead of them. And I swear if they roll the same fucking group back, just set your, set your fucking watches. What is it? Today's May 15th, 
4.30 p.m. I'll set, I'll set a reminder in my phone, May 15th, 4.30 p.m. 2024. And let's talk about what this Sixers team looks like. Because if it's the same shit, if it's the same fucking shit as last year, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. I don't know what you can do anymore, man. I really don't. And Sixers fans, like, maybe this just seems like a therapy session to all y'all listening. In some ways, it does feel that way. Stop kidding yourselves with this shit. Stop it. Unless major changes happen, nothing's changing next year. My roommate's a Sixers fan. I remember talking to him last year when the Sixers lost to the Heat in the second round. And I said, unless major changes happen, James Harden's not the fucking answer. Doc Rivers is not going to be good enough. And he tried to convince me. He said, no, man. No, I'm telling you. He's like, he's like, James Harden's going to come in. It's going to alleviate Joel Embiid. Everything's going to change. It's all going to be different. I said, I don't think it will. I really don't think it will. Ultimately, what happened? A year later, the same fucking shit. You could tell me, hey, they got a little bit closer. Cool. We got a little bit closer. Doesn't matter. We got just as far as we did against the Hawks in 2021. This is as close as we've fucking gotten to this. We got just as far as we did against the Toronto Raptors in 2019. I'm so sick of this team, man. I'm so fucking sick of it. I'm sick of the same fucking shit over and over and over again. And we'll see. We'll see if they actually make a change. I don't think they will, but we'll see. It'll be fascinating. All right. Rant over, pod over. I know this was short. Uh, like I said, just want to kind of get back in the swing of things here. We love you guys. Again, apologies from our end being so absent over the last you know, few weeks, but uh, we're going to try to get this thing back on track. We have the Eastern and Western Conference Finals coming up, and we have the NBA Finals coming up as well. NHL has been phenomenal. Uh, second round, not as fun as the first round, but hey, we're going to have some, uh, hopefully some good matchups here uh, to, to wrap up uh, the NHL season. And then before you know it, we're going to be talking about training camp and we're going to talk about fantasy football. Um, and uh, I think hopefully later this week we'll have a podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the schedule release uh, as well. Um, some interesting games, some interesting games to take a look at. So uh, the boys say hi. My best to all of y'all from them. We love you guys. We'll talk to you guys hopefully later on this week. If not then, then soon. And as always, take it easy.